The Biden administration is trumpeting a new piece of environmental and economic legislation that just passed the Senate in the hopes that it will turn around Democrats' political fortunes, I mean, in the short term. But this bill, called the Inflation Reduction Act, falls far short of what's desperately needed to address the overlapping crises causing so much suffering for working people in this country. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can also get a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism, which has been released recently. It features a new lengthy introduction. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. The Inflation Reduction Act seems like a pale shadow of what the Biden administration was offering when it came in in January 2021. And it's loaded, shockingly, with corporate perks, perks for equity firms. It also is loaded with caveats that actually endanger, not help the environment. Let's just get started there. Yeah, well, I think there are two important things to understand, one that you've already mentioned and one I would add. When this was originally put forward, the estimates that I saw were three to three and a half trillion dollars over 10 years, a massive program with massive numbers that are at least roughly of the order of magnitude that needs to address these problems. This current bill, I believe, marked up as about $700 billion. That would be roughly an 80%, let's get it clear, an 80% drop from the original. That means the opponents of spending the kind of money that could make a dent in these problems were able to get rid of 80%. If you saw an advertisement for an 80% sale, it would perk up your eyes and ears to take advantage of that. That's an amazing thing. Number two, the Democrats tried to pin this on two individuals, two senators, Sinema and Manchin. And let's remember, two senators, that's 2% of the Senate. We are asked to believe that as a people, our reaction to the climate changes threatening the planet 
to the economic injustice so gross that literally nobody even dares anymore deny its obviousness, that we are supposed to believe that this situation has all been brought to an end by two people. That's silly. Two people can't do anything and they can't stop what goes on in the Senate. And this has nothing to do with rules. This has to do with whether or not there's the political commitment by the government, in this case, Biden and his team, to either make this happen or not. And what they have shown us is they're going for the or not. They're not going to do it. They're not going to go into the streets. They're not going to do political battle with the status quo. They're not going to flood West Virginia and whatever else it takes in America to put people on the street to demonstrate that they want and need these things and are not going to allow two rich senators to stop them. It's a silly idea. All right. And now the biggest issue of all. The issue here is not the money. In other words, yes, it's a travesty to cut out 80% of what the government said it wanted and what Mr. Biden ran his campaign for president promising. But it's beyond that. It's a question that even the things that are passed today will depend on how the government acts, not just in the case of passing this particular bill, But if, for example, the government is going to negotiate with the pharmaceuticals about Medicare drug prices, well, then we're having a government that has shown its incapacity to have any backbone when it comes to dealing with the business community. We're going to, what, trust them to get us the kind of discounts that exist everywhere else in the world? Don't be silly. We don't have those discounts because of how the government and Big Pharma have worked out their relationship. And that isn't going to change by this vote. If anything, the pharmaceuticals have been told that a tiny shift of one or two, three people in the Senate will be more than enough to kill this off, to reverse this next month, next year, whenever they can. Likewise, the government is going to tax corporations. We've been told that the government is going to be fairly taxing corporations for a hundred years, and they've never done it. They have never done it. That's why we know, for example, today that corporations hide billions, hundreds of billions, maybe even more, in tax havens. We even know where they are. Some of them are inside the United States, like in North Dakota. Some of them are in the Cayman Islands. Some of them are, I could fill in the blank. We know where the money is. We know who's hiding it. Nothing is done about it. Then we know that there are all kinds of shenanigans with moving your profits to whatever country has the lowest tax rate. And that still goes on. And no agreement has been reached to stop that. And the agreement wouldn't be worth much because, as you put it, Brian, there are all these little perks written into the legislation, which runs hundreds of pages, and which compensates every industry that might be negatively impacted by one aspect of the bill with a nice little juicy help to that industry. That's what it's about. 
we have a very cozy relationship between big business and the government. And that's true whether the Republicans are in there or the Democrats, which is why the shift from one to the other makes such a little difference economically. On other issues, there are differences. But when it comes to keeping the status quo, that's what we have, which is why bills like this are advertising stunts. They're photo ops. They're a chance for Lindsey Graham to repeat the ancient Republican I love business speech and a chance for the Democrat in charge to give the I love the working people speech. Meanwhile, the basic structure of the economy percolates along doing its business. And let's be clear what the business has been and which this law does not change. For 40 years now, we have been redistributing wealth from the bottom and the middle to the top. This law does not change that. For the last three years, we have subjected the American working class, after having redistributed wealth out of its hands, to four, count them, four body blows to your economic welfare. The COVID pandemic, which this country failed to anticipate and failed to manage at an unspeakable cost of over a million dead people and tens of millions with illnesses we can't even speculate what they will cost them and us as a nation in the years ahead. Number two, the second worst crash of our capitalist system. Well predicted, lots of us talked about it. It meant a crash in which more than half the American working class suffered unemployment for some period of time between February 2020 and now. Wow, more than half of our people out of work with all the suffering that entails. Number three, an inflation running currently at 9 to 10%, wiping out whatever savings the working class might have accumulated, whatever little help it got from the worst of COVID, all of that's wiped out now, an unspeakable body blow. And now the statement by a Democratic president governing a democratically controlled House and Senate that the way this society is going to solve the inflation problem brought on by corporations raising prices. Because remember, an inflation is price increases. It's corporations who do that. Workers don't set prices. Corporations do. And we're going to solve the inflation they imposed on the working class by a recession, by deliberately throwing large numbers of people out of work because we've jacked up the interest rates and reduced the amount of money in circulation. This is an unspeakable assault. This is called class warfare. And it's the warfare of the big business community against the mass of the working people. And this destroyed bill, this little shadow of what might have been a, a bit of a shift is all that's left. And we are asked to celebrate. There's something literally obscene in the whole spectacle.
Indeed. And I'm looking at NBC and the way this is presented, Richard, to the population, the way people learn about it, which means the way they're educated about it. So there's this great big graphic that NBC has been promoting, and it's called What's In, meaning what's in the new bill. Funding to fight climate change. Two, prescription drug price reform. Three, Affordable Care Act subsidy extensions. Number four, IRS tax enforcement. Number five, drought funding for Western states. And last, corporate minimum tax rate. Now, when you think about it, the problem of inflation has been a fairly recent problem. We, of course, had inflation in the big round of inflation or stagflation, meaning a a stagnant economy, but still very, very high prices throughout the 70s until the Federal Reserve crashed the economy in 1979, leading to a pretty major recession. And 10, 20 million people lost their jobs. And then sort of the stabilization of the capitalist system happened during the Reagan era. Here you have inflation that's sort of come after COVID. I mean, in the last two years, we see, and a lot of it's attributed to labor shortages or supply chain shortages, all of it sort of conjunctural based on what's happening with COVID or the aftermath of COVID, the fallout from COVID. But when you think about this number two item, prescription drug price reform, I mean, the prices of medicine, of prescription drugs is through the roof. I mean, you compare it to Canada, to Mexico, to almost any other country in the world. I mean, the prices are 10 times, 20 times, 100 times in some cases, higher than it is even in neighboring countries. You know, I'm from Western New York, so people in Rochester and Buffalo, where I come from, we, you know, always drove across the border to Canada. I mean, you go from Niagara Falls or Buffalo, New York, into the other side of the falls in Canada, the drug prices are, it's like you've gone to another planet. And again, it had nothing to do with the conjuncture of COVID. And the price reforms they're talking about will actually be so sort of non-impactful, it won't really do anything. And certainly in a structural sense, this hugely inflated ripoff drug prices, none of that's going to be touched. I don't know exactly what negotiated prices means. And that vagueness is going to be an opportunity for what we know is going to happen. A cozy meeting between the drug company executives and the government agencies. So here's what they might do, just as a hypothetical. We're not going to give you the full 100% of the price of drug X. We're only going to give you 75%. Okay, if the drug companies understand this, Here's what they will do. And we all know this because we've all been taken by a businessman or woman telling us something will be on sale, 20% off. And then we have Aunt Tallulah reminding us that the prices before the sale were jacked up by about 20% so that the discount of 20% pretty much got you back to where you were before. You don't remember that. You didn't look at it. You just see the ticket that says it's 20% off. And believe me, we're going to have politicians standing up for a photo op saying we got the prices down by 20%. 
and we'll all be snookered if we haven't figured this out. And that's only one of a thousand stratagems that are available. We are not going to solve the problem of inequality, of the instability of our economy with its crashes every four to seven years, the failure more and more to deal with the needs of the mass of people. We're not going to solve them by reforms. We've reformed our economic system every couple of years for a century, and we're still where we are, more unequal than ever, more prone to economic crashes, facing failures like the COVID. I mean, we haven't solved our problems with the past reforms. Where then are we supposed to be so dull-minded as to imagine a new set of reforms is somehow magically going to do what all the previous sets didn't do. It really kind of boggles the mind. You're going to have to change this system from the bottom up. You're going to have to stop having a tiny group of people, the employer class, less than 1% of our population in a position to raise and lower the prices all 99% of us have to pay. What kind of a democracy allows 1% to jack up the prices, which, by the way, beef up the profits they get, and we all have to pay? We're yelling and screaming about an inflation, but we're very careful in our mass media to blame the inflation on, I don't know, the invasion of Ukraine or mystery, supply chain disruption, things that have happened, the climate, anything other than pointing the finger where? At the people who actually raise the prices. There is no inflation unless employers raise the prices. No one else raises prices. No one else has the authority or the power to do it. It's the employer who does it. So the first place you look is to say, hmm, Who's doing it? Employer. And why are they doing it? And the answer, because the employers tell us, is we're raising prices because of the same reason that governs everything else we do. Profit. We're in the business to make a profit. So if we raise the price, it's because it's the most profitable strategy for us to pursue. If you don't change a system that works on profit, and that allows a tiny group of people to get the profit and they be in a position to set the prices that generate that profit, then you really have to blame yourself if you allow that system to persist because it's going to slap you in the face over and over again as it always has. Going back to that graphic on NBC, they, number three is funding efforts to fight climate change. Now, I'm looking at an article in Common Dreams. It's written by Jake Johnson. Environmentalists raised grave concerns over the bill. The bill would reform the permitting process for energy projects and clear the way for final approval of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. I have some familiarity with this, Richard, because people have been fighting against the Mountain Valley Pipeline uh, tooth and nail. People who care about their communities, people who care about the environment, people who care about the lands of indigenous peoples. The agreement was reached as part of an effort, it says, to secure Joe Manchin's support for the Inflation Reduction Act, a proposed budget reconciliation. According to this article, 
and according to a one-page summary that was released about the article, the bill would set new two-year limits or maximum timelines for environmental reviews for major projects. I mean, this is a, a vagaries that's so wide, so big, this loophole so big, you could literally sell an oil tanker through it. I mean, would set new two-year limits or maximum timelines for environmental reviews for major projects. So if, say, the Mountain Valley Pipeline or some other pipeline, Line 3, you name it, whatever the pipeline is that are being built by the energy companies and financed by the biggest capitalist banks on Wall Street, as long as they determine it's a, quote, major project, we're only eligible for an environmental review every two years, I mean, a two-year limit, meaning you can't have a second environmental review later, no matter what. So when you hear the way the bill is being presented to the masses of people, to the population, by the mainstream media, and NBC is not, they're not in Congress. They don't, you know, presumably have a direct financial interest in Congress. But the presentation as an apologist for whatever comes from Congress, and again, as you pointed out, it's not Manchin, it's not Kirsten Cinema. I mean, the Democratic Party has lots of options, but Schumer is saying, we couldn't have done this without refusing to close the tax loophole that Kirsten Cinema demanded. That was for private equity firms. We couldn't have done this without this major buffer now for the Mountain Valley Pipeline that makes it almost impossible for specific actions to take place by the government that would call into question whether the Mountain Valley Pipeline should even continue. Look, in Europe, they're a little bit more honest about it. They understand politics to be mainstream parties, one of which is usually called center-left, and the other one is center-right. And they call them that because they're not left-wing or right-wing. They have left-wing and right-wing parties because, you know, the Europeans are strange. They believe freedom of choice politically means having more than two parties. We in America, of course, know much better, and two is more than enough, especially because it's hard to tell the difference if they're not wearing their distinctive red and blue shirts. But here we have it. Two political parties, one of whom is the center-right, that's the Republicans, and one of whom is the center-left. But the key thing they have in common is the center. And so the Democrats want us to believe that the best you could possibly get is what they happen to get. How interesting a way of celebrating yourself. They're not going to tell you all they gave up. Occasionally they'll admit it, but they'll quickly match it up with something they got that we're supposed to believe is some kind of equivalent exchange. It isn't. This bill makes sure that the unequal economic system we've been suffering under stays that way, that the inequality is not addressed, that the absurd wealth accumulated among the richest will continue to be included among them. The little bits and tweaks of the law here and there, what silliness. If the corporations have to pay some minimum tax, they will do what? Raise prices to offset it? You betcha. 
We know they can do that. They've been doing it to us for the last year on a royal scale. And if anything, having to pay a new tax might make the inflation worse. The Democrats don't know. This is all a Hail Mary pass in order to not do badly in the elections. But they know that whatever they do for the elections, one thing is certain. They cannot disturb the fundamental status quo, the way things are. The rich keep getting richer, and the rest of us know it. Leonard Cohen wrote a magnificent song, I'm sure many of you know it, called Everybody Knows. And the truth is, everybody knows that nothing fundamental is going to change in what comes out of Washington because we haven't changed fundamentally what goes in to Washington. And by that, I don't just mean the people we elect. That's not the most important. What goes into Washington is the dichotomy, the split in our society between a tiny minority, the 1% employer class, versus the 99% employee class. And as long as our system is run by the 1%, they'll make it work for them. And if that means at the expense of the rest of us, that's what we're watching. That's why this bill went from $3.5 trillion to $700 million. That's why for everything that is slightly progressive, there's hidden or not so hidden a gift to the affected parties that make them willing to go through the charade of these photo ops because they get such a good little blessing quietly on page 409 of this bill that they're perfectly willing to have the photo op and have Mr. Biden sit there and make all kinds of noise about the big changes. He's never made a big change in American economic life since he became a senator in Delaware. And there's no reason for anyone to be surprised. He is what he is, and that is what he was. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can get a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book, Understanding Marxism. It has a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. Tomorrow we'll be talking about the terrible fire that's taking place in Cuba and how economic sanctions and the blockade of Cuba are in fact fueling the fires and fueling the suffering of the Cuban people. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.